Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 381, recorded January 8th, 2023. And we got a little bit of a treat today. We're doing a lost issue of Star Trek Gold Key. This would have been issue 62. Uh, the script was written, but it was never drawn or released. And uh, we were able to... Uh, find a fan production of it and it's quite good so we're going to actually yeah. re- uh, review that one as if it was truly issue number 62 right so this issue 62 uh was supposed to be published it was planned to be published april for april 1997 which didn't happen and frank bole b-o-l-l-e was originally planned to be the uh, issue artist right and he, he had done those, uh, those comic book type, uh, covers for the last couple of the issues, 60 and 61. Uh-huh. So remember how they used to have those beautiful paintings and then it suddenly changed mm-hmm. to a more traditional comic book cover mm-hmm. for 60 and 61. So that, that was Frank Bolite. So he, uh-huh. uh, so that, that's what it would have looked like probably if been on the inside. Of, yeah. Right. So Matt Schultz is the guy that actually did a take on it and i guess he's a fan but he's also an artist yeah uh, must be he's quite good <laughs> he is quite good and he's got a lot of other stuff on his website um but one of the things is this so he must be a fan he has the artistic uh abilities and i'm sure he uses this as kind of a demo thing for himself too right I guess. Yeah, I'm glad he did because it's it's quite good. Um, I mean, I'd seen the script. I mean, the the script was released in one of the um, hardcover Eagle Moss um, collections, um, mm-hmm. and you could find the script elsewhere on on the on the webs. But uh, but it was kind of cool to see it go from a script to beautifully drawn uh, Star Trek comic book. It's definitely not in the style of Gold Key. Which took me a little, took me a little out of it, but, uh, definitely looks like a Star Trek comic book. Yeah, it, it does. Um, yeah, I, I think Matt has his own particular style, but he's not, he's not horribly off. I mean, he still well, I mean, tries to get it kind of like a gold key, but he has his own style. Yeah. Well, gold key is horribly off of what's really Star Trek, so. Ah! <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so, that's true. Uh, this this one is looks this like actually a is accurate. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And then the other issue we're going to do today is um, what I'm calling Star Trek 2022, um, and issue number two of that. So that's the uh, Cisco based stories. I'm running off trying to stop this god killer thing. Right, a Thor like god killer. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, uh, you want to do number 62 first, since it's kind of the more unique one? I will do it. Okay, so this one is, um, title is Trial by Fire, 
And as I mentioned, it was originally slated to be uh, released uh, April of 1979. Writer John Warner, artist Matt Schultz. Um, and I did find some really helpful in, info about this lost issue at uh, Kurt danhauser.com so uh, there's some some good things out there okay so we got one cover and it features the fabulous four kirk spock bones and of course the enterprise kirk and spock with clenched fists and determined faces are looking at some kind of threat bones is behind kirk with his medical tricorder in hand also looking with apprehension at the threat the Enterprise is located behind their heads, busting out word from a starburst. The text of Star Trek is in traditional gold key font, bisected by a tiny silhouette of the Enterprise, as is traditional. And that's at the top of the cover, uh, which really is, is cool for my trip down memory lane. And then the issue title, Trial by Fire, is directly beneath and uh, the text is like in an orange-yellow font that almost looks like it's on fire. A big circle is in the lower right containing the text, Spectacular Final Issue. So that tells us where the issue fits into the Gold Key publishing run of Star Trek. Lastly, the Starfleet swoosh command logo is in, the, is in a uh, white box at the lower left, and a traditional gold key issue logo with the issue number 62 is in the upper left hand corner and of course this cover is also by uh, matt schultz uh the first page teaser teaser which you often get with gold key shows kirk pleading with someone apparently named talon to recognize the fireball racing towards their planet uh, that will wipe out his people Talon says, no, it's an omen that Talon must face alone. McCoy in two red shirts, a human in some kind of uniform, and a bunch of native guys with spears can only observe the impending doom. After successfully completing its yearly inspection, the Enterprise is happily zipping around Hub Station 6 in a trial run. All the bridge personnel, especially Scotty, are happy with how well the freshly tuned starship is performing. The merriment is interrupted by an incoming transmission from Varric Thrine, operations president of the Orion Energy Research Platform, and he's asking for help. Thrine will not say exactly what help they need over a long-distance channel, but makes a strong enough case for the urgency of the situation that Kirk orders Sulu to set course for Orion, Warp 6. They arrive at the Orion research platform that looks like Space Station K-9 with two big test tubes attached to its bottom. The station is uncomfortably close to a huge fireball in space that looks like the sun, but is not. Spock reports it should not be able to exist in the vacuum of space, but there it is, existing. The channel is open to Varric, who explains a radically new kind of fuel was being tested in a ship when it exploded and turned into a fireball in front of them. And the fireball is moving through space. They try to put it out with two photon torpedoes to no avail. Spock reports the fireball is heading towards planet 
Orgon, a nearby inhabited Class M planet. Kirk beams Varric to the Enterprise over his objections since he has had contact with the inhabitants of Oregon. Before they beam down to the planet, Varric warns Kirk and the landing party that the people are primitive nature worshippers who are very suspicious of outsiders. They transport down very close to Talon, their shaman leader, who is performing a ritual ceremony. The people recognize Varric as the man from the sky and grab their weapons due to the stranger's trespass on sacred land. Talon calms them down long enough for Kirk to tell them that they have very little time to save themselves from a fireball that is heading for their planet. Kirk points to the sky where the fireball is now close enough to be seen with the naked eye. Talon sees it as a test of his magic and position as shaman leader. He thinks he has the power to render the omen from the gods harmless and, in fact, energize his people. Kirk says he is crazy and he can't let them kill themselves. Talon has his guards arrest Kirk and the landing party. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise, Spock and Scotty formulate a plan to inject antimatter into the fireball that they theorize will snuff it out. Scotty warns if this does not work the first time, they will not get a second chance as the ship's power levels will plummet and disable the engines. They cannot make contact with the captain, so they take their shot, and indeed, the ship is paralyzed as predicted. The antimatter stream is true to their aim and enters the fireball. Sula reports it appears to have no effect. Part 2 of Trial by Fire Kirk and Landing Party are in a wooden cage and hear a blood-curdling scream. A female Oregonian releases them, telling them to hurry because it's time. They rush to the shaman, who is kneeling in front of a cauldron screaming while he falls backward to the ground. McCoy points up to the sky where the fireball is changing. It dissipates and McCoy rushes to the unconscious shaman. On the Enterprise, Spock and Scotty see the fireball changing into a pinwheel of antimatter that they pray will not contact the ship's hull. The fireball dissipates without touching the Enterprise. Amazed, they assume the antimatter injection did the job, but took longer than expected. On the planet, McCoy is examining the shaman, who is still alive but feverish. The natives return Kirk's communicator, but hold back on the phasers. Kirk finds out from Spock that the documents turned over to them by Varric include some that document Galactic Shares attempts to purchase part of Oregon. They were turned down. Varric was in charge of those negotiations. Suspicious, Kirk closes the channel and goes to speak to Varric. Kirk and his two red shirts find Varric in Talon's hut, where he was taken to rest. They find McCoy unconscious and Varric about to give Talon a fatal injection. Varric tells Kirk these backwards natives cannot stand in the way of human progress, that his experimental fuel can usher in while driving the hypo downward. Kirk knocks Varric down and tells the red shirts to grab him. Kirk tries to get Varric to admit he sabotaged the test ship to purposely create the fireball, 
but Varric just babbles about, they not listening. Talon eventually pulls through with Dr. McCoy's aid. Later, the USS Exeter, very interesting ship, arrives to render aid to the disabled Enterprise. A representative of the Galactic Shares Corporation is on board the Exeter and says Varric's actions were not sanctioned by the company and they will move the experimental space station away from inhabited worlds. The Exeter takes Enterprise into tow back to Hub Station 6 for repairs. The end. So what, what's up with the Exeter? Why does it look different? <laughs> it's a refit Constitution class. Yeah, it's awesome. That It is awesome, but it's like, hold on. That brings up some questions in my mind. Why is that? Well, okay, so I thought the Enterprise was the first refit. It wasn't? Mm-hmm. Did it? they ever say it was? Well, I just assumed, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it, how long did Kirk, was Kirk supposedly working on the project? Yeah, took a while. I mean, I mean it yeah. seemed... It seemed like like it was uh, it was a first time and it was taking a long time and it you know was difficult. I mean it was a major change. Right. Yeah, this definitely is an older ship because it has a lower registry number than the Enterprise. Right. So. Sixteen seventy two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But this would have come out in nineteen seventy nine. So I I like that the uh, the artist drew it like this, even though this is probably not how it would have looked in the original comic book. Oh God, no. No, I, I I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, although I loved it. Like I say, it just brings up questions for me. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they didn't know about it. The gold yeah. key. So that was one of the things I had to go back and find the original uh, script mm-hmm. to see if the original script actually called Ooh, it out. That's a good point. It, it did not. It just said nah. exterior. Uh, Exeter shows up. And it doesn't even, does it say anything about what kind of ship the nope. Exeter is? No, Nothing. Okay. Nope. But you would think what they probably had in mind was another original Constitution class. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I love that he drew it this way. Right. And I love the artwork in general. I think everything looks great. Um, I mean, the aliens look like something Bill Key would have come up with, where they mm-hmm. just people with bigger eyes or whatever. Maybe even a more, uh, maybe more alien than, than we probably would have gotten if it was a real gold key. Mm-hmm. But still liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, the ships look great. Um, Interiors the... look accurate. Mm-hmm. Which gold the... key you never could get right. The crew. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and the crew typically look like the original actors. Right. Now, my only comment is that sometimes the mouths and especially the teeth in the mouths look a little off. But other than that, very good job. Right. Sometimes their expressions are a little over-exaggerated, and it kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of a uh, Mad Magazine or a Cracked Magazine or something like that, which always had fantastic artwork, but it always was mm-hmm. like, you know, like the Star Trek characters, but a little cartoonized. Mm-hmm. And this kind of, like, reminded me of that a little bit. I mean, again, not, not disrespecting it or anything, but... Um, you know, just every once in a while, they kind of like look over. They still look human proportion, but a little over mm-hmm. exaggerated. So they didn't look cartoony, but right. Uh, but aside from that, I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, I even with that, I really liked it. Uh, let me rephrase what I said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in particular, 
the drawing of the Enterprise as it's approaching the uh, the research station, uh, and then the, the fireball is on the other side. I thought that looked really good. The fireball looked good. Uh, the shadow and stuff looked good. The great. shadows, yeah. exactly, uh, especially on the Enterprise. And the space station is, like, really dark on the side that we can see. Which which is what uh, it would look like because it's closer to the fireball. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so it's quite quite good. Quite yeah. good. No, everything, yeah, really good. Yeah. And I like the, you know, the story itself. One of the better gold key ones, really, if you think about it, because it's written in a way that you don't know for sure if the Enterprise mm-hmm. stopped it or if the Shaman stopped it. Exactly. And I like that. I loved it. And they don't, yeah. and they don't spoon feed it to you at the end. But no. it's like, you know, they just, it just, well, one of them worked and that's all that really matters. <laughs> I right. loved it. So the trope of the Enterprise having to save a primitive people from obliteration from an asteroid or whatever is, uh, is very, has been done many times. But I think they did find uh, a lot of originality in this story. And I, and I love it when they kind of leave the ending open for interpretation like you just mentioned. Right. Yeah. Which is a little different than what we normally got in Golden stuff. Yeah. Pretty open and shut. And then I liked the, uh, you know, I was not expecting the extra bit with the, uh, the ambassador or whatever he was being the bad guy. Uh, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, he caused it. Oh, wow. That's oh. Oh, the the director guy? Yeah. Or whatever? Yeah. Uh, of the research? That thing? was that was a total surprise to me. I did not see that one coming. Yeah, I, I didn't see that either. Um But you know I it, it just it, the whole existence of a corporation, uh, if there is no profit motive anymore, uh, is kinda like okay, okay. I mean, because most corporations, although there are non-profit profit corp, corporations too, which I guess everything is, so like PBS and things like that. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's just a a way of organizing a lot of people towards some goal. So I guess that makes sense. But really, as far as the prime directive is concerned, because aren't they? Bre- I mean, aren't these people breaking the prime directive? Uh, this company, and their in their interactions with the shaman and everything. Uh, and I know Starfleet uh, and the Federation is supposed to, you know, uh, prime directive, prime directive. But how does that apply or does it to private corporations? Yeah, good point. It seems like it isn't uh, because these people are primitive and they're, you know, this guy's dealing with them, trying to get him to sell a part of their planet. Right. Uh, anyway. Yeah, no, good questions. point. Yeah, how would that work? I mean, I guess if if the prime directive is Starfleet, mm-hmm. then that's one thing. But if the prime directive is the Federation, Federation then then yeah, they yeah. would definitely have to abide by it. You would hope, or or, or else what what's the point? Yeah, otherwise Google's going to show up and get everybody converted ah. to Android before <laughs> before they even know about the Greater Federation. Oh, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I never really thought about that. <laughs> Well, of course, Starfleet's going to be the first ones there, but you're right. Once we get that technology, why why would we assume that somebody yeah. could take a rocket ship anywhere? Right. So, um, so just to give a little background on on this issue, um, 
we obviously knew about the script, but mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know that the I didn't know that it was uh, fan made by Matt Schultz until so we got a, we yeah. actually got a fan mail which which we we do occasionally uh, from a gentleman. Yeah, thank named you very Mike. much. Yeah. So yes. Mike wrote us and said, hey, you know, there's uh there's this website that has uh you know. A production of the issue, and uh, we looked it up, and man, it was good. So I'm really happy we got that, that email. Yeah. And and can I give you the uh, the URL just in case people are listening might be interested? Oh yeah, please. So it's uh, you know Matt Schultz dot art a r t and then slash uh, star dash trek. So Matt Schultz again, and that's with s Matt Schultz with an s at the end. Uh, he is uh, he's the artist. So and he's th- this is where he has this available. You can go out and take a look for free. Right. Pretty cool. And you might be interested in uh, if you're somebody in, in in a position to actually, you know, uh, you need an artist. Matt Schultz might be your guy. So, yeah, he's definitely got the uh, very good the talent. Right. And so thanks, Mike. And uh, and thanks, Matt, for. Uh, Putting together what a fun, such a fine issue. Right. And then uh, just a little bit of background on the issue itself. Uh, there's there's two characters in the book called mm-hmm. uh, Burn and Cockrum, which I thought was a little weird because I was like, well, it's supposed to be Cochran and it was spelt wrong or whatever. And Burn, you know, obviously you think of John Byrne. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up and it seems that the the uh, writer John Warner did write. Uh, he did uh, name those two characters after his friends, uh, John Byrne and Dave Cockrum. Oh, so they're, cool. they're two artists, and I guess they were all uh, colleagues of some sort. So he he wrote those two right. characters in honor of them, which I mm-hmm. thought was kind of cool. Cool, very nice. And I th- I don't think John Byrne had done any Star Trek at this point, had he? Oh, not that I'm aware of, yeah. but. I mean, I think the only Star Trek comic books we had, well, I mean, it was mostly Gold Key, and then, what, Peter Pan, and... At this point, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, his contributions would come later. Right. Right. So, uh, here's a little, here's a little tidbit uh, about the author. So, John Warner is a New York-based author. And he had previously written um, one Star Trek comic uh, for Golki, which is uh, issue 60, The Empire Man. Uh, and that was that was published. That one was published in February 1979. Right. Uh, he is best known for writing several issues of the Gold Key Flash Gordon series. Interesting. He also worked for DC, Marvel and Warren Publications. So. A little more info about the author. Right. Yeah, the Empire Man was uh, the one with the like the the spirit ghost that was like floating around and stuff. That woman. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I think I remember that one. Yeah. And she was influencing Spock somehow. I think she could like influence a lot of people, so she would just yeah. go around. It it, it kind of reminded us of the Cochrane Ghost Girl, but oh, right. But it oh, was that episode, yeah. right? Right. So it's been a while since we covered it, so I don't quite remember everything about it. Yeah. 
But anyway, so yes, it's cool that he uh, he had the pedigree for sure. Yes. Yeah, I'm curious what he did for DC and Marvel. This, this. Yeah, me too. But I'm sure if you, uh, it, you know, I'm sure with some searches we could probably find out. Right. Right. And I think Warren Publications did they own Gold Key or were they a subsidiary of Gold Key at some point? I don't know. A lot of times I, I see know. like the um, the Star Trek books that were reprinted into like mm-hmm. double issues or whatever. Uh, those were made by Warren, even though the single issues is made by Gold Key or mm-hmm. Dell. So it's it's mm-hmm. just kind of weird. Yeah, I, I was never clear on on who the parent company was out of those three. Right. I do not know. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about this issue. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, no. Really Thumbs up. Same, same. Really good. And uh, thanks again to Mike for pointing it out to us. Otherwise, we would have just had the, the script, and that's pretty dry reading. Yes. Thanks, Mike. All right, so the next issue we're going to cover today came out November of 2022, so a new newer issue. Uh, this is Star Trek number two. Uh, it was written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, artist by Oleg Kodako, colorist by Lee Lowridge, letterer by Clayton Cowles, design and production by Neil Yutaki, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assist by Vanessa Rial. And there is a ton of covers for this, and I don't know why. I mean, I guess they want them but my goodness there's too many all right so the first one is by ramon rosales and this is the one that i have and it shows i guess it's a um, cisco with his hands fisted i mean you just see the fist and then it, there's a knife that's like next to it with blood coming out of his hand and on the knife i, I assumed it was cisco but it could have been Worf. i don't know can i just mention yeah that the knife is a klingon duck tog Duck Tog, that is true. Uh, which, and then behind behind the hand, we do see the, the Klingon logo, their emblem. The next cover is by Malachi Ward, and it's kind of a trippy color. It just a cover. It shows Data's face with a bunch of like little planets and swirly things coming out of his head with little atoms and stuff floating around. It's kind of weird. Kind of like what you would think data on on drugs would be. Uh, This third cover is by J.K. Woodward, and it shows uh, Cisco giving a handshake to Worf. Very nicely painted. Uh, The next cover is a black and white version of the first one with the the, the top. And then the last cover is really the coolest one, and it shows Cisco holding a phaser towards the reader. And he's maybe being beamed up at the same time because there's the, the beam effect going all around him. And uh, that is by Kristen Ward. I so, agree. I like that one the best. Yeah. Yeah, if I had to rank them, it would be that one, then the J.K. Woodward, and then uh, maybe the trippy data, and then finally the, the hand with the blood. I don't know. What's your rank? Yeah, probably that. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that they use the. I mean, I guess it's important to the story, or maybe more important to the story. But from a look standpoint, uh, the one they, they they chose as the main cover is not the best one. Yeah, maybe to show yeah. that 
Worf and Cisco are Bud Brothers. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird one. Yeah. Speaking of weird, this whole issue was really weird because uh, <laughs> I was. I, I'm gonna give my uh, bias right at the beginning. I wasn't a fan of this issue. So we'll we'll talk about it in a few. Okay. All right. So the Theseus, which is Cisco's new ship, arrives at Quonos, and they meet up with Ambassador Worf. Cisco and Worf embrace as old friends. Then they go into Kalis's throne room. Now this is the clone of Kalis, which is now the emperor of the uh, the emperor of the Klingon Empire. Here, Cisco asks for permission to travel to the Shapers of Shakardish, where it is rumored that the Shapers can destroy even gods. And uh, for whatever reason, this planet's been under quarantine for forever. So Kalis quickly says no, despite knowing the risk to the galaxy uh, that the god killer is. They leave the throne room, and Worf claims to be stifled with all the compromise and paperwork of his job, and he requests to join Sisko on their trek to the Shaper's world. They all beam back up to the Theseus and break Klingon quarantine and make their way to Sakardish. Once they're there, Sisko, Data, Crusher, and Sato beam down to the planet. Sisko makes his pleas to the Shapers, pointing out the Prophet's warnings. The Shapers are unimpressed with these lower life forms, and it seems like they're about to kill them when Data speaks up and gets their attention. He shows that he himself has been engineered by these humans, and his plea seems to work, and the Shapers tell them that they were actually held hostage by whoever this god this god killer is, and maybe they helped make the weapon. The god killers, whoever they are, uh, told them that if they tried to stop them, then the god killer would destroy their own planet. Then they do give some sort of clue as to the identity of the killer. But while all this is going on on the surface... In orbit, Worf is having a, a little battle of his own. So he's using the Theseus, and it's being harassed by some Klingon vessels. Worf spends most of the time having the Theseus dodge and run from the attacks, but then he has Scotty overload the new environmental compensation system up to 300%. He then bluffs that this is some sort of new weapon, and the Klingons fall for it and back off. So once the landing party is back on board, Sisko tells the crew of everything they found out. Worf then officially asks to rejoin Starfleet and get his commission back. And then Sisko shows. So the next clue is a bloody Daktag knife. So we don't know whose the blood is, but uh, that's it. That's, that's the final stinger. And then we get a little caption that says, Next! That's all, folks. Thanks for all the cue. A character isn't saying that. No, it's just um, a little caption. A little caption on the bottom from the publisher. Right. From the creatives. Which I didn't. And then, of course, <laughs> I mean, no. Doesn't make sense. And then, and then the next page, well, it doesn't make sense. But then if you go to the next page, it says, coming next month. And it's a full-page drawing of the Theseus. Right. And then behind it is, you know, what looks like a skeletal version of Q from the first episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation. 
Right. Yeah. That's uh, that's the know, main cover of issue three. The next issue. Yeah. There you go. So I mean, so and that makes perfect sense. But it's like, okay, hold on. Q, Q, the Q are behind this, killing off all the other, uh, you know, advanced beings with godlike powers. No, uh, I mean, is that, that what they're saying? No, I think they're saying that they're about to get killed. Q by, is next. Yeah, that's why he's skeletal. Okay. Looking. So long, and thanks for all the Q. Okay, so the Q is the next ones up for being killed. Right. But the little joke doesn't make sense to me. Well. I mean, I'm I, assuming, I think, is it a, is it a riff off of the Hitchhiker's Guide? Thanks for all thanks the fish. Thanks for all the fish. <laughs> I don't know. But let's say that it is. So that's <laughs> what the, the space whale was saying when it was plunging towards Earth, right? Or some planet. No, that's what the dolphins say when they leave Earth. Remember? Oh, all the, all the dolphins okay. leave Earth, and that's what they say. Okay, okay. Okay, so I was mixing that up with the space whale that landed on a planet, I think, Earth. Okay. So long, and thanks for all the fishes. Okay. Okay, so I guess it's less of a... I guess it makes less sense, I guess. <laughs> so thanks for all the cue, whatever that means. So maybe it isn't related to hitchhikers. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know either. But it's a hook. So... It's a hook to get you come back for issue three. So it's like, what the heck does that mean? So, I mean, from that standpoint, you know, I think it, it's good. But it is confusing. What does it all mean? Yeah. What does it all mean, Basil? Guess we'll find out next month. Or next yes, issue. Will. Yes. Anyway, so what did you think of the issue? The story. Um, I think it's... It moved along. It moved along the story pretty pretty good, because now we know what created the the weapon, right? Um, and we have some indication that somehow the Q are involved uh, next in the next issue. So it moved things along, but um, and, and I mean actually it moved a lot of things along. So all that happened. We got Worf back. So now Worf's obviously going to be part of the Prometheus or. What's the, what's the name of the ship again? Theseus. Theseus. Be part of the Theseus's crew. You know that's going to happen. Sure. So, yeah, it moved things forward, but it's like those uh, those those engineers that that were drawn to look like kind of I don't know tentacled ghost beings or something. Right. It's like yeah, I, who are they? I, I well I never well I never heard of them, but maybe. Are they? Hold on. No, I, no, looked, they, I, th- I, I looked it up. Their okay. appearance so they're brand in new Star Trek this. is Star Trek number two. Yeah, but they're okay. built up as, oh, please, Kalos, give us permission to go to see the see, the shapers of the galaxy kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah. who are these people? I mean, I've never even heard of them before. And then I'm like, well, maybe it was in some random original series episode or something, and I don't remember so I read it all, and then the, the yeah. So the whole thing about who these guys are, how they, yeah, how, how they came to have Klingon uh, protection, blah yeah, blah blah. Yeah, and, and why are they explain. so? Why are they so? You know, reverend. Uh, you know, they're they're these these god kids. You know, they're they're like these godlike creatures. You know, so I I was total mm-hmm. lost, and it I it never fully answered that question. I did not like it. 
Mm. I mean, well, you had the crystalline in at the least... first one. You had uh, Gary Mitchell in the prequel. You have Q in mm-hmm. issue four or three. So you're like, I, I thought every issue was going to be a known god species, you know, either getting sure. the axe or being saved. And instead, you just come up with these new guys that happen to build the build the the weapon. Just seemed weird. Well, well, the idea that we would have been exposed to all the godlike creatures in the universe seems unlikely. So I will say that much. Yeah. And these guys, I don't, I don't think they're supposed to be godlike creatures. So, no. but they're a step along the way. Right. Right. But they so godlike so, that they're willing to kill humans that come on their planet because they're lesser beings. Well, uh, okay, but it's, but I wouldn't call them uh, at Q level. No. Or, or the Organians or whatever. But they're more advanced than us. So the idea of somebody being able to build a god-killing weapon being uh, more advanced than, than the Federation's level of technology uh, makes sense. Sure. That makes sense. I mean, who, who's going to be able to do that? So they had, they had to figure that out, and so they made the whole thing up about these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't so know. there we go. Just would have liked it if it was some sort of other Klingon deity that we may have already been exposed to or something. I mean, I love that they brought how in Kalis. Gonna... I don't know. Well, how are they going to have the the technological ability to build something to kill gods? I mean, it had to be somebody higher along the uh, evolutionary level, technology level than us. Right. I mean, isn't there episodes of Star Trek? I mean, there's the engineers that created all life in the universe. I mean, there's tons of people that you oh, could have... that died up, that died long long ago. Yeah, right. They well, seeded well, seeded yeah, everybody they with. Guys. So they got these guys. <laughs> oh, so, so so it couldn't be anybody new. In my mind, no. I think they should. No. <laughs> they should have kept it with people that we know. Well, I I respectfully disagree. I don't. I don't think that's a requirement. Uh, and if it's not, if it's not going to be somebody we know, fully explain their back history instead of just pretending like we know who the hell you're talking about. <laughs> like when, can, well, I mean, when he's like, "Oh, can we please go see the shapers?" And I'm like, "Who? Who are these shapers? Who are the shapers? Explain it. To who us. are these shapers? Exactly. Explain it to us." Yeah, it's funny how they call them the shapers because if the alien franchise didn't do this already, I'd call them the engineers. <laughs> right. That's taken already. But what did, what did they it's shape? Like an engineer, but not. They didn't even explain what they shaped. Well, they sh- they shape technology. They're they're builders. And builders was taken too. Yeah. I think Halo. Where uh, the builders come from? I don't know something like that. Yeah. What is the What is Halo called? I don't know. I don't know. Halo, Mass Effect, all of them have. Even Star Trek has some some species that came before. Exactly. Like, Massively uh, powerful, right. died out for whatever reason, or ascended to the next plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of existence. Yeah. I guess the, ho- the Lord of the Rings is like that too, with all the elves transcending to the next level. Oh. Something. Oh. Okay. There you go. There, there you go. Spoiler: If you haven't watched the movie or read the books. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, the beginning part with Kalis, I 
I really liked. I loved the the dialogue balloons where Kalis mm-hmm. is speaking, and it's it's all in a spread font and looks really cool. And mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of talking a little bit about how Kalis maybe has more power than Martok now, even though mm. in Star Trek: The Next Generation, when Kalis the Second was created, they kind of said he would just be a more figurehead. symbolic figurehead. Mm-hmm. You know? But now it looks like he's actually calling some of the shots. Yeah. Well, whatever you say at the beginning or at one point in a large, complex uh, political entity, things can totally change later. (laughs) And, you know, whoever the people will will follow, I guess. And I guess in times of uh, uncertainty, a uh, mythical leader from the far distant past is maybe more uh, desirable. I don't know. Right. I'm really curious on how this wharf is going to tie into episode uh, season three regard wharf. Because, I mean, do the writers and stuff of oh. this know that wharf is now a pacifist or whatever in the future? And oh. Are they writing towards that, I, or is it completely I, I Well, you know... IDW works with Paramount. Right. You know they do. But uh, to what degree is a good question. Right. Yeah, so that's why I mean, I'm, I'm curious you know, about I, I know they're always talking, but, you know, do they do they have reject ability, uh, you know, Paramount for storylines that that uh, IDW undertakes? Do they do they have uh, do they review them all? Do they have somebody in Paramount who reviews all these things? Oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Well, they probably do. So how much they'll sync up, I guess we'll find out. But So we will be curious to see. Mm-hmm. Especially if this is an ongoing. I mean, it'll still be going out when Picard Season 3 is on. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully it isn't too. It syncs up to some degree anyway. Yeah. I have something I want to know about. All right, go for it. So where Cisco embraces Worf, you know, kind of a half embrace. Um, Worf is like a whole half head taller than Cisco. Now, yeah. they're both big men. They're both tall, beefy men. Um, but I don't remember Worf Michael being Dorn being that much taller then um, I, I forgot the actor that played Cisco temporarily. I, I didn't remember him being that much taller. Right. Eh, but man, he been. is tall. Yeah. He might have been, but, you know. Well, plus he has all that makeup to give him a little extra oomph there. Towards <laughs> Especially the top. on the top of the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the tortoise. She's got the tortoise shell on top. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. if he was that tall. I, I just it just put me off because I I didn't remember him being that much taller. And I was looking at the shoes, the boots that each are wearing. And, you know, it doesn't look like lifts. Uh, you know, Worf doesn't look like he's wearing lifts. No. No. I'm glad no. you brought up the shoes though. Look at the uh, look at Kalis's shoes. Oh, with the spiky thing. With the big out, spike thing. Oh, I hate yeah. that. <laughs> it's so stupid. You hate that? Yes, it looks so stupid. Anytime they showed Klingons full full on and and they had that little psyche boot, I always thought it looked silly. 
But it's like that Russian lady in From Russia with Love. You know, the well, blade comes out of the toe. Nice. Yeah. You know, she's kind of you know, trying to kill Bond with it. Right. Those 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 rhino horns, I think. You know, Kalis <laughs> could do some damage with those things. Exactly. I, I used to think that maybe they had a really big toe. And then then, <laughs> then when Worf showed up and he had normal feet, I was like, oh, well, I guess that's that idea is out of the part. <laughs> that explanation, and I need to explain everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Kalis is, is just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> maybe it's some sort of status. Yeah, he's... The bigger the bigger the horn the bigger the toe horn, the more powerful you are. I don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe it says something about something. I don't know. Exactly. Maybe. The bigger your toe horn. Yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting that uh, Kalis was such a poopy head. Yeah, he was not nice. He was he was going to protect those uh, those shapers and uh, and not let Cisco go. Right. To them. I I just found it found it humorous how quickly Cisco was like. Oh, we're going anyway. Exactly, and how easy it was. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, uh, we're, we're going go. anyway. The next page, we're there. We, we've somehow broke quarantine and already there in the next mm. page. And it's just like, yeah. well, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> and then I'm like, who are these shapers? <laughs> yeah. But then in the end, the, the Klingons were ready to blow up a Federation ship. And it's like, okay, so... Kayla said one thing and Cisco did something else, but you know, but they're, but they, they sick, sick multiple ships on the Theseus and they're going to blow them up. Right. It seems kind of an overreaction. Yeah. The most inept ships ever. Cause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause that battle is so weird. It's just like, it just, you're supposed to think that something bad's going on, but Worf is able to just fly around and, Keep them, keep them coming. I don't know. I was just like, yeah, I, I was really disappointed. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, Stargazer one, where the Diradex, which was made to be look huge, Romulan, you know, battlecruiser, yeah, was made to look so much huger than huge. the uh, Stargazer, and it was like, oh my gosh, look, they're gonna get get their their butts kicked, and then it turns out that uh, the old Diradex from next gen time period. Is so old and antiquated that the uh, the stargazer is running rings around it. Right, right. So it reminded me a little bit of that, but I don't think that the the Klingons are in the same position as the Romulans. No, I think they still got you know good ships and they're developing technology and things like that. And then even even Worf's like little ploy, which I really like, you know. And even Scott mm-hmm. is like, oh, he's doing the Jim Kirk special, you know, or something uh-huh. like that. I loved it. <laughs> But he does yeah. it without even talking to him. He just turns this thing on and he says, "Oh, they're gonna assume that it's a weapon." And and then the other guy's like, "Yep, they turned away. They're, it's all over." I was like, "Boy, that was anticlimactic." I mean, no, no speech, no threat. You know, nah. <laughs> turn it on. They're gonna assume it's a weapon and run away like little baby cowards. You know, yeah. Well, but also, guns are known to do. But also, um, Worf said. He knew who that guy was. Sure. He knew who that that captain of the uh, task force or whatever it was, right. and he basically got his job not because he's a good captain, uh, but because of his his house's position or whatever. Right. 
So he knew the guy was going to be uh, more concerned about protecting his own behind than uh, than executing his mission. Sure. No, and so I, that that was helpful. Yeah. But in, again, in it would have just would have been nice if he actually talked to the guy at some point and threatened yeah. him or something, told him what was going to happen with yeah. the environmental <laughs> controls. Yeah, I didn't even understand what. What was that supposed to... What would that have looked like? I don't know. I don't know. But just go with it. <laughs> and that's the other thing. This is supposed to be a science ship. And so, yes, they said all ships are equipped to, to defend themselves. Sure. But come on. A, uh, a, a, science, a primarily science ship defending itself is a little different from... Uh, what the capabilities that uh, the Theseus was able to put on display here, I think. But well, I mean, whatever. Voyager was also a science ship, and it seemed to do okay. Well, that's true. I did find it helpful that they would have little. I mean, the stories going along in the comic book, and then they'd show you a page that kind of explains something important, like the Klingon governmental structure. Right. So. You're reading along the story, story, and then you come to a page that almost looks like it's something out of, I don't know, a, uh, a college course or something. So they're just going to educate you on something. So take a look. <laughs> but I, I liked it because it, I mean, it, it kind of gave you, uh, you know, who's got what power right in the. So it had four rectangular boxes and it had uh, titles along with the person. So that's cool. So at the top is Emperor Kalos II, the next box down, next lower in power, supposedly. Chancellor Martok, son of Urthog. Cool. And then beneath the Chancellor is High Council, and there's 24 seats, one for each great house. Oh, that's cool. 24 of them. Okay. Uh, I didn't remember that, but great. And then then beneath that is Federation Ambassador uh, Worf. So it's like, okay. Interesting. Uh, I would think there would be a lot more things between the High Council and the Federation ambassador, or a lot of things like sideways. Oh yeah, absolutely. at the same at the same level as, as Worf. But you know, it, it was good to see. It was good yeah. to see. It's pretty simplified, but but yeah, it, it just seems kind of jarring that like you turn the turn the page and suddenly you're whoa, what's going on? Are yeah, he's out of order. You know, something like I, that. I feel like I'm back in college or something. But the uh, the other issue did it too, so. It's yeah. just something they're going with. Yeah. And I'd also like a little note there at the bottom. Currently, 15 seats in the High Council are pledged in opposition to the recently installed Martok, who is viewed as a relatively uh, a relative pacifist and Federation sympathizer. So that's all really good. It kind of really sets up the situation they're dealing with when it comes to Klingons. Right. I mean, he's no Galron. <laughs> True. Just look at the eyes. <laughs> that guy had some buggy eyes. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I have to say is just that uh, there's a spot where, you know, they're talking to Kalis and he's on the the dais, big thing, throne, whatever. And I just like some of the, they've got a couple um, horizontal panels that are on top of each other that are like like kind of zooming into his face. And I kind of like how they have the one where it's zooming in on his eyes and his nose. That's as much as you can see. 
Uh, and then the one directly beneath it is zoomed in even, even further on his mouth. Oh, so it right. almost looks like it goes together. The two panels, horizontal panels, kind of go together. But because the bottom one is so much zoomed in, it just looks odd. Uh, well, but I like it. It's the show, the zoom in of the camera. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. I, I never. Never. Yeah, this is really what he's going to say is really important, <laughs> which is basically I will not give you permission to ever go there, Cisco. Never. So yeah, that was important. I just like I just like the uh, artwork. And then you turn the page and they're there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going anyway, Data. But they so said hard. no, you're going. Sorry, we're going. All right. Anything else? That's all I got to say. All right. Well, we took off some weeks during uh, Christmas, so we allowed some back issues to show up. So next episode, how about uh, Star Trek number three and Resurgence number two? That sounds great. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, again, we'll be back next episode with uh, a continuation of of this story plus uh, Resurgence number two. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review